Shanali, why don't, for those very few people who don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little background on who you are and what you do? Oh, this is mindful social, remember? Mindful social, I have to really be social. Hi everyone, thank you so much for joining today. Um, Janet, thank you for having me. And um, I was gonna say something a little bit, I was just, so, so releasing me from my blood virginity, I'm just gonna say it. Thank you for that. For that. Somebody had to do, <laughs> Somebody <laughs> to do it. freedom. Somebody had to do it. Happy Tuesday, Laura. <laughs> I'm a social PR strategist based in the Washington, D.C. area. But as I like to say, have laptop, will travel. And that's what I was doing just up until a couple of weeks ago. I'm doing a, a like I was calling it like the world tour in India um, and the U.K. But I really help businesses figure out how to improve their bottom line results by involving their community in their PR efforts. And that's what I call social PR. I know we're going to be talking a lot about that today. Um, I have worked at small and large agencies at nonprofits with nonprofits, clients all over the country and world. I also teach at Johns Hopkins. I'm adjunct faculty for the um, MA communication program. I teach two courses over there. I also teach a course at Rutgers University. Um, on PR measurement. I literally just got off of my measure PR Twitter chat because um, that's an area that I'm really fascinated by and, and love, love, love. Mm. And I most importantly um, have a wonderful husband, two wonderful dogs, and I'm really, really lucky to have friends like you. That's the best thing about my life. Well, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> in a nutshell. It's really great to have you, and and uh, you know, let's dive right into this because I know you're kind of limited on time. So uh, why don't you kind of define for us what social PR is? To me, social PR is when you really educate, cultivate, and motivate your audiences to start telling your story for and with you. Mm -hmm. Previously, when we thought about PR, we really thought about telling our stories through the media. And the media was very much your traditional media space. And you had to depend on them to be the gatekeepers of your story. And you know, would they or would they not let it go through? The beautiful thing about social media and social technologies is the way they let you connect with people across distance, across space, across time. Just look at us. You and I would not have known each other had it not been for social media, even though what we do is very much connected and very much related. Mm -hmm. And in our offline worlds, we absolutely have so many people in common, but the chances of you and I actually connecting this quickly and having become such good friends, because I feel we're good friends, would have been, I don't know, what, one in a gazillion or something? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so. Thanks, Sean. Once businesses and organizations really understand that social media is not just about shouting at people and using it as yet another um, broadcast mechanism, it, you can do that, of course, but it's really about harnessing that power of connection, which technologies let you do just like that. Mm -hmm. You bring that into your PR efforts and really make it strategic and integrated and focused. It is so powerful. Oh, and wait, that's what you mean it's about. mindful? <laughs> exactly. <Woo. laughs> Had to get it in there. But that's really true. You know, I mean, we knew each other for years before we actually met. And I think actually the first time we met was at Scoble and Shell Israel's book signing. 
in which person. was yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, that so, was like three years ago now, I think. Yeah, it's it's really amazing how it can can humanize people and and really bring us together and make us feel like we know each other, and you know, long before we actually meet face to face. But how can we make that work then for a brand when you're representing a brand as a PR firm? How does that translate for them? I, I, I'm going to answer that or at least tell you what I think about it. But I just want to ask you real quick. So these comments that I'm seeing on the side, hey, Sean, hey, everybody, um, are we saving those until the end or should I respond? to? Feel that? free to dive in now. Uh, you know, as Blab goes, it's kind of uh, fractured, I guess. OK, OK, cool. Because I just didn't want to like talk over yours. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say Sean Dakin is Twitter dead. Dude, you should know better. So stop it. <laughs> Twitter is not dead. Everything dies, right? Everything <laughs> dies. Like Halloween's over, so everything's dead. And you know, it's <laughs> like it was like Dia de los Muertos, and everything's dead. So nothing's dead. There you go. Um, okay. And so since I got so carried away with everyone talking about stuff being that it's all Sean Dakin's fault. Sean, you are a bad, bad boy. You shouldn't have done this. <laughs> so, Janet, please, please restate that question again. Let's just refocus for a moment. Take a deep breath and think, okay, so when you represent a brand and you really want to get that human element in there, you want to attract people and have them be thinking about the brand, it's easy for us to do it one-on-one -on -one as individuals, but how do we do that for a brand? First of all, you hit something really important, which is what we do for ourselves doesn't necessarily work for a brand. So I think it becomes really important to take a step back and to do an audit, basically. You have to really look at what the brand's assets are, what its liabilities are, what are its strengths, what are its limitations, and you really have to look at what is its current state of relationships. You know, we talk about state of the union, et cetera, but what is the current state of where it is where it wants to be, and where are the key stakeholder relationships in the middle of all of this. And if you really start to break down where it is, where it wants to be, and what its state of relationships are as it has to get there, then you start to understand what it needs to do. Mm. Then, based on its culture on its brand culture on its brand voice and, and there's a lot of um there are a lot of traditional exercises that are really really important to keep in mind when we work on programs like this based on what is right for the brand you do have to be able to kind of step into its shoes and be very mindful about how you are communicating those messages how you are actually reaching out to your audiences um, but most of all and you touched on this earlier janet it's about being human. So even if we can do all of this auditing, we can do all of this planning, we can do all of the strategizing, but if we are not ultimately going to help our brands have a human voice, then it's really not going to work beyond a certain point. I think it'll work from the point of view of, you know, you can broadcast away and you can buy ads and you can do all of that stuff. But in terms of the actual engagement, you have to find what is that personality of the brand? What is that voice for the brand that makes its audiences connect with it? Because at the end of the day, people are doing business with people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. People don't do business with buildings or, or logos. Fancy offices or logos mm -hmm. or beautiful creative. 
people are connecting with the people behind that brand. And so it's our job as practitioners and as strategists to really put a human face on that brand. You know, we both know um, Maddie Grant, she's a good friend of both of mm. us, I think, and she wrote a book a while back called Humanize, and it's a really, really terrific book because it really talks about how do you start doing this for brands and associations and so on. Right, so let's take that a little bit further then as someone who is just entering PR or is starting to freelance on their own, what are some mistakes that you've seen and some things that they might be able to overcome? One of the biggest mistakes I see people make when, especially when they are just starting out in social and trying to get to grips with this whole social world is that they will behave like excited puppies who've just been released at the beach. <laughs> Release the puppy. <laughs> and they're all, woo, hey, everybody, I love it. <laughs> you know, and that's great. But you know how, like, the puppy is coming to you and he'll go nip, 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 and lick, 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 and boop, boop, boop. Um, that's fun, but then it gets really irritating after a while. So I don't think they're listening enough necessarily. They're so excited and energized by the space, which is wonderful. And we have all been there. And hopefully, we all try to keep that sense of excitement, but not actually paying attention to conversations, not actually listening to what people are saying, not actually focusing on how you can add value to that conversation, I think is a big mistake. Because if you, so if you keep the focus on yourself, it's all for me, this is about me, um, it's, not, it's just not gonna work. Because you think of it again, in, in daily life, that approach doesn't work. Mm when you meet someone for the first time or if you're starting to play in a new space uh you have to really start to engage with the people who are already in that space and, and and you know kind of do it in a very delicate nuanced way you can't just blast your way in there so that's one of the biggest mistakes i think i see people making part of it is totally understandable because the space has become so crowded it is so noisy there's this very real fear, I think, that, gosh, if I don't shout, then people are just not going to hear me. Mm -hmm. But that's not going to work either because everything is moving so quickly, nobody is going to pay attention to you anyway. Right. And that's good and bad, right? Because then when we screw up, very few people pay attention to us as well because we're all screwing up all the time. Everybody right? makes mistakes. Yeah. It's not yeah. possible to do social yeah. media without making mistakes. It's how yeah. you respond to those mistakes that really makes the difference. Yeah. 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 You know, we're getting questions in the chat and both Sean and Kiki kind of had the same comment that, you know, the worst thing you could possibly do would be to hand your social media to an intern and go, here, here's your strategy. Run with that. Yeah. And I see that happen a lot. So, you know, what do you have to say about that? I see it happen a lot and it drives me nuts. <laughs> it drives me nuts. It's like <laughs> you have, like imagine you're on top of the Empire State, okay, not the Empire State Building because that you'd be so high that nobody would actually hear you. But imagine that you're, you know, you're on top of, you've got, I don't know, you're on top of the- um, A five-story building. building. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm trying to think of a building, trying to think of a building. And you have this huge big megaphone and you have a key to all of your 
strategic documents, your state secrets and everything, and you've just given that to the intern so that she can open it and read everything, and then she can shout it out, which is, you know, <laughs> it's not about keeping secrets or anything like that, but there's gotta be some strategy involved mm -hmm. in your practice of social media. And an intern, it's not her job or his job to all of a sudden know your strategy. They're there to learn. Mm -hmm. They're there to learn, certainly they're there to help us with, with our organization's work and, and hopefully contribute to, it, contribute to it in a smart way. But primarily they're there to learn and they don't know the nuances of your strategy, of your business framework. It's very irresponsible, I think, for organizations to do that. And it's not fair. It's not fair on the very young intern. It's absolutely not fair. And, and we are, they are interns there to learn and they should be learning from us a lot of things. And one of the things that we really want to be able to teach them is how to get the community to engage. So that kind of brings me to my next question about how can we do that? How can we encourage a community to engage around our PR and communications? One of the best ways to do that, I think, is to build a community for itself. And you saw this, and I know you that you are great at doing this, and there are folks here on um, today's Blab, like Kiki and Sean and so many others who are really, really good at doing this. They focus on showcasing the community itself and the community members. Mm -hmm. um, and they really focus on helping that community build relationships among itself. So I think a while back, somebody had asked about the Blue Key campaign, and that's, if you remember, that's what we did. So for everybody who doesn't know um, about the Blue Key campaign, it was uh, one of my first big, and I wanna say, I'm saying big in the sense of how extended the campaign was, um, holistic digital strategies that we worked on for USA for UNHCR, mm -hmm. um, which is a nonprofit here in the DC area. And so what we did as part of kind of the focus of that digital strategy was to bring on folks that we call blue key champions, who we would ask to start telling the organization story and the story about the campaign. And Janet was one of those champions, it was Kiki. It was so fun. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was so much work. But if you remember, yeah. <laughs> it was so much work. But it was so much fun work. And if you remember what we really did when we had a um, secret Facebook group for all of the champions, and we really focused on making you guys talk to each other. And mm -hmm. it was not about the campaign all the time. It was not about the organization all the time. It was really about trying to help you get to know each other. Um, when you do that, I think the community starts to see that you really care about them. You really care about helping them build relationships, helping them learn, helping them improve their life in some way. And I remember during the Blue Key campaign, remember how we would keep you guys posted about um, how many keys had been sold and how close we were, mm -hmm. far away we were from the goal? <laughs> And I remember at one point, uh, Matt Lacasse asked, well, what can we do to help you guys sell more keys? And that was really the point at which I thought, oh my God, we've just created a community because now we <laughs> had champions who, no, no, but and I mean that in a good way, right? Right, right. That, that we had champions who now like you and Kiki and Matt and so many others, Ginny, say, okay, we feel a part of this. What can we do to 
to help move things along. And I think that's when your community really starts to take off. But it does take time. And it's not hard necessarily, mm -hmm. but it just requires commitment. Well, one of the things that you did in the Blue Key campaign that was really cool was you would do these kind of tweet-a-thons where people would come in and, and everybody would kind of take a part of it and you know really help move that forward. And as a community within the Facebook group and on Twitter, you know, everybody was supporting each other and we really all kind of came together and a lot of us got to know each other through that group and then supported other causes. And some of us are still representing, you know, the Blue Key campaign and the whole idea around it. So, you know, that kind of engagement with the user base and the people who are going to be advocates for you, the brand, either one, whether you're publishing a book or you're coming out with a new program, for example, getting those people engaged is great. And, and a platform like Blab is really cool for this because a lot of the people that follow you and follow me are now here in a micro community just for this moment in time. And we get to engage with them and we get to hear what they think, which is amazing. It's so wonderful to have these tools available to us now. It really just, is. It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, I just keep... Like I want to pinch myself 20 times a day sometimes, some days. Some days I just want to slap myself. <laughs> but, but many days I just I just go, wow, we're so lucky. I mean, look at the things we're able to do with, with such minimal effort on our part in terms of actually creating the platforms, creating the technology. I don't know how to code. I don't know how to do any of this shit, but, you know, we can participate in events like this and communities like this. And I truly think we are just so lucky. We're so lucky to live in this day and age. It's enabled us so much, you know, 20 years ago, online community was kind of painful and geeky and, you know, we all had fake names and it was really tight with very small communities, but the tools have improved so much now that we can reach so many people simultaneously and you know it's just really powerful and and i just love it i know i, it. I know <laughs> so i wanted to ask you you know i know you're starting to work on the social pr launchpad a lot of us have gotten your emails which are hysterically funny if you're not signed up by now you should really go sign up just for the emails because it's <laughs> shanali incarnate so why don't you tell us a little bit about that oh thank you for that email comment i am so grateful for that because <laughs> some people wrote in saying this doesn't sound like you give might remember i wrote about that in one of the emails like this is really you don't, don't, don't sound like like what what is this that you guys are not seeing about me and then somebody said well you know it's all the whole joking around and i'm like i'm funny come on yes. I joke a lot. <laughs> but anyway so so you know i've been teaching at hopkins now for oh gosh i don't know i think it's i'm going to my, my eighth or my ninth year it's so prehistoric that i don't even remember when i started it's like rip van winkle's wife um, <laughs> and and I have wonderful students, an amazing place to teach, my students at Rutgers as well. I'm very lucky that I get to go around the country, go around the world speaking and teaching people, doing workshops and trainings. And people get very fascinated by the full concept of social PR. Um, and what I realized was that between the 
social PR side of things and the measurement side of things, there is a gap between what people are being taught in school and what they're expected to do in the course of their professional life. And it's not because they're stupid. They're some of the smartest people I know. Um, I'm constantly blown away by how smart my people are and the people that I meet all over the world. They're so smart. They're so smart. But it's this process of connecting the dots that has not really been explained to them. And so I find myself doing that a lot with, with my students and when I do workshops and so on. So I finally thought, you know what, I'm just going to take this online. Uh, because when I'm doing it in person, then I'm limited because it's a function of time. There's only so much I can do in that one hour or two hours or whatever. So I decided to do a free mini training on helping people unleash their social PR superhero. So sneak preview, <laughs> capes, <laughs> capes and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think it will be a lot of fun. So if anybody here has not signed up for that, you should totally sign up for it, socialprvirtuoso.com. Um, and, you know, will we build Rome in a day? Of course not. But will we unleash your social PR superhero? We absolutely will. But to figure out how to do that, you have to come do the training. <laughs> and when is this training going to take place? Next yeah. weekend. Oh, so oh I know, I know. November 13th, 14th, 15th, um, 2 to 3 Eastern, I think. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. <laughs> Uh, two to three Eastern with a 24 hour replay for anyone who's registered. Cause I know, you know, I get it. Life happens. It's the weekend, you know, kids soccer games, blah, blah. That's um, great. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. And, and we have a Facebook group that we've set up as well for folks who are participating in the training. So we're going to start using that as kind of a, not a staging ground necessarily, but like a place that we can share ideas and, and so on. And there'll be some fun exercises to do. So I hope, I hope a lot of folks join. That's great. And what kind of things specifically will you be teaching? What can we expect to get, uh, you know, your insights on? We are really going to look at the core characteristics of what it takes, in my opinion, to make up a social PR superhero and some of the core steps that you need to take to start getting there. So you'll really get like your own little action plan that is catered for you based on where you are today, because where you are today and where I am and where somebody else might be are all different places. And okay. if there cannot be a one size fits all solution to any of our professional growth. So you're really gonna get a look at your core strengths um, as your kind of, you know, where do you stand on the superhero spectrum when it comes to being a social PR superhero what is your personal growth action plan going to be and some really nifty workflows and cheat sheets on how to jumpstart this particularly when it comes to listening and engagement and also we will look a little bit about how to do that with the media because even though you know i i do think we are in a very very different place today when it comes to media relations than we were 20 years ago uh -huh. the, yeah <laughs> hello <laughs> But traditional media are still a very, very important part of our landscape. But how we use social PR to actually engage with them is different mm -hmm. than how uh, we, we did that 10, 15 years ago. So traditional PR isn't dead. Twitter is also not dead. Neither is Google Plus. But we have to bring it all together. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
Well, I'd like to open up the seats and let people come in and have some questions. If you guys are interested, then just click on the open seat and let's get some questions for Shanali directly from her fans, her adoring fan base. <laughs> <laughs> I love these. I love the little, the proppy thing. So please, I want more proppy things for Janet and for me. Yeah, you know, I really think props were... Yay! Props is really great. When it used to be feels, it was kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I feels you, I feels you. <laughs> I know. It was, it was a nice idea, but kind of creepy. Nobody wants to jump in the open seat. Why is that? We have so many smart people on today. Well, we actually do. We've got Judy Curtis. Ooh. She's diving in. And I'm going to open up the other seat as we have the other... Seat is open as well. And uh, Sean or Kiki, you want to jump in? That would be a lot of fun too. Welcome, Judy. Hi, Judy. Hi, Shanali. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I just wanted to, you to talk a little bit more about this. You know, we've been working in PR for so many years. Uh, we see, you know, what we have to do. There's, uh, there still are many great writers. And we find that also we are doing a lot of content creation ourselves. We're kind of priming the pump. So it would be really nice if, if we talked about that mix. That's all I wanted to say. And I just wanted to say hi. Hi. <laughs> I love that. But I think maybe you may have to mute your mic or put in your headphones or something. There you go. So, um, yeah. So I agree with you. I think we have. You know, we've been hearing about content being king, content being queen for so long now. And I think there's been a different iteration of that every few months, right? Content's king. No, it's not. Something else is king. No, it's not. Content's queen. No, it's not. You know, um, I think what's really interesting is that as PR professionals, we have always worked with content, always, because we've developed messaging, we develop uh strategies we develop so much content when it comes to media messaging you forget about just the press release but your media kits your fact sheets your backgrounders talking points um letters to the editor op-eds there are so many different ways that we have worked on content it is amazing to me that more pr pros don't actually see this gold mine of content they're already sitting on and I feel like, you know, it's it's our own fault because we've kind of let a lot of other uh, colleagues in, in related marketing communication disciplines, um, maybe just slide that towards them a bit because we, well, we don't know how to do content. Or we don't know. And I think a lot of folks get um, maybe a little scared by, or or uneasy, I should say, by things like SEO and how to start incorporating smart SEO into your content. But none of it is rocket science. And there's so much out there um, in terms of education. I mean, Janet does a lot of teaching on this. I know I do. People like Sean McGinnis. I mean, you name them. There are so many people who, who are educating through their own content, through their blogs and so on, that there's a wealth of information out there um, for PR, PR pros to educate themselves um uh with so yeah totally with you on the content thing uh i mean i don't know if we need to take that conversation in another direction 
Well, let me jump in there for a second too. And that's that, you know, yeah, there are a lot of things that you need to think about. You need to think about whether you can do paid advertising and SEO and content development, graphics creation, because that's become so much more important. The bloody infographics that are everywhere and making us all crazy, but we still love, uh, you know, you don't have to do all that yourself as an individual. You can outsource these things. There's a lot of things that, you know, people are specialized in and trying to be the jack of all trades is kind of crazy. Yeah. So, you know, give yourself the latitude to outsource things or delegate. Yeah. You know, and the thing is like, Kiki. I, hi Kiki. <laughs> um, and like, I can't draw to save my life. I wish I could. But I'm really good at conceptualizing, you know, how something should look, how it should play together. I'm good at drawing kind of the workflows and, and all of that stuff out. And so then I just find smart people who can, you know, kind of get into my brain and pull that out and make it look good. Mm -hmm. um, now, that said, there are a ton of tools available now, like Canva, right? Mm -hmm. um, Canva, I think that everybody has fallen in love with. And there are so many others, but Canva seems to have gotten a lot of of traction lately, no doubt, because Guy Kawasaki is behind it. Also, to some doesn't extent. hurt to have Guy Kawasaki behind it. <laughs> but you know, I'll tell you, as we've been preparing for the social PR launchpad, we were doing a lot of stuff in Canva, and it's fun. It makes it easy. It really helps you look at stuff. But some of it, it just needed a professional. Mm -hmm. So I found a professional, and she was able to get inside my head, and she's come up with beautiful stuff. It is so much more worth it to spend that, to let a professional do what they do and you do what you do. Don't you think? Yeah. Kiki, Kiki you're, you're, oh, can't hear Kiki, you. you're, you're muted. <laughs> Great face though. That was very evocative. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, while we're on that subject and Kiki's getting her mic working. Uh, Sean also brought up Pick, Pick Monkey, which is another one that's really popular. Yeah. And there are several tools that allow people to kind of cross that line a little bit. If you have a decent design aesthetic, you know, and you can look at things and get it, there are a lot more tools out there now. I have to say, I don't open Photoshop hardly at all anymore, where it used to be that I was always doing things in Photoshop and I am not a designer. <laughs> I, I can work with designers. I could even play one on TV, but I can't be a real designer to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Where did Judy go? Judy, I hope you uh, didn't just drop off because of something I said. But if you had to go, then that's fine. Can you guys see me right now? Well, we yeah, we can see you, but you have Kiki's name on you. So you're going to have to introduce yourself. <laughs> well, my name is Roberto Blake. And for some reason, I've seem to have harnessed Kiki's name for myself. I don't know how that happened. Wow, what a skill. <laughs> and also how lucky because you could be, you could have harnessed somebody else's name altogether. Lab <laughs> is an interesting place. These things happen, I guess. They do. But, uh, but to go to your point, uh, someone as a graphic designer, I encourage people to actually use things like PicMonkey and Canva, which a lot of people don't understand why I say that. But I say that because the reality is not everyone necessarily can afford or needs to hire a graphic designer or some things are a matter of you don't have the time. 
Not to mention that sometimes it would be a waste of a true graphic designer's time to do certain things because you need something super easy, super simple. You may not have, uh, oh, there's my real name. There you are. Uh, an appropriate budget <laughs> to mm -hmm. begin to have that conversation with a graphic designer. So it's actually great for us, I think, that people have another option to still have good aesthetic, get quality stuff out there that isn't going to make our eyes bleed. And at the same time, if they do really need us, they can hire us because maybe they actually now have a little bit of understanding for themselves and mm -hmm. that they know that this is my limit. This is not as easy as I thought it was. I've done it. <laughs> I see where my ceiling is and now I need to pay someone to push me through that ceiling and for me to maybe even buy back my time. Both Absolutely. of you have been using things like Pick Monkey and Canva and it's because it doesn't take a lot of time, but you also mm -hmm. realize that if you want to do something next level or something for a big product launch or product push that you probably wouldn't use those tools because once it's time to start selling something versus just promoting yourself, you have to make an investment there because you're also asking people to invest in you. So mm -hmm. I would say if you have a paying project um, that's going to lead the money for you, you're putting out a book that you want people to buy, you're uh, building out a website that you know you're asking for uh, your clients to pay you hundreds of dollars for your services per hour. That's time to hire a designer and somebody who can help position you to be uh, appropriate to that market, be competitive and look like you belong in the authority of people who are charging those hundreds or thousands of dollars or making that real money. You need to look like you're worth it. And you know for yourself that, okay, if I'm just putting it on Facebook and Instagram, it's just to get likes or shares or get people to my email list. Sure, that doesn't necessarily make me upfront money. I can do that for free or ask a friend to do it for a couple of bucks. But if I want to charge real money and be taken seriously, I might have to make an upfront investment the same way you would buy a professional suit or dress to go to an interview or to perform on stage or at a speaking engagement. You wouldn't pinch pennies there. Uh, so that's what I would say. Well, I tell people too to mock things up in Canva or whatever tool that they want to use. Uh, I've had people mock things up in PowerPoint because that's what you know works for them and lay things out so that it kind of cuts that time when you actually have to do that translation. Cause you know, my job really is to translate from, from client ease to designer ease and kind of protect the designers from the client quite often. Which so, we need. <laughs> yeah, you do. I mean, it's just, there's an interface gap there. So, you know, giving them any tool that they can use to kind of pull things together and then give it to design to polish it and make it look really awesome is a wonderful thing yeah yeah exactly so. absolutely great that intermediate great step advice, is yeah. so helpful yeah yeah we yeah. try yeah we try. and and it's also um you know the other great thing about this as um what all of these two tools for pr pros is really what what Roberto said as well, because it, I think it allows us to start speaking a different language, a one that we're not necessarily used to, because interfacing with a graphic designer, they're speaking a whole different language. And if we don't know how to communicate what the client wants to them, then that project is doomed. So part of, part of our education, even if we don't use all of these tools for these ultimately the final products, I think is, is a understanding how they work b being able to janet as you said 
really come up with the design aesthetic and to communicate that both to clients as well as to the designer saying this is really what it needs to look like and then also just eliminate the confusion that can happen when you're seeing something and the designer is hearing something else and you know all of that tower of babel type of stuff that can happen when everyone's using different terminologies so yeah. i'll let people in on a secret sometimes when designers want to try and leverage creative control they'll use jargon to confuse clients specifically to let them feel <gasps> no. insecure and intimidated and they'll leverage that so that they'll say i'll just let you do it and then they get to do what they want and not have to take a lot of input or nattering in the ear <laughs> the designers i find that do that are artists rather than marketers and i always mm -hmm. say this the most creative designers are artists the most successful or well-paid designers are marketers wow so, give this man some props right yeah, now totally. that is so 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 true and <laughs> you see it all the time because marketers from a design perspective design is not art and i get beat up a little bit for saying this design's not art design leverages art as a component of communication to cause an execution and that execution might be people donating to a charity it might be people buying a product it might be people contracting a service that is what design is there to facilitate it's there to communicate the things that are necessary to create the emotional impact usually leveraging art and then everything else using more of the design and the psychology and marketing side of it to facilitate the action of that sale or that donation or people going to that event and to spread that awareness of a message. Design is not meant to be interpreted. It is meant to communicate. Art is meant to uh, inter be interpreted and elicit an emotional response. Design is directly tied to a call to action. It's purposeful visual communication. That's how I define it. Designers who don't get that and want to be artists, but wanted to make money doing visual work are, I would say a nice chunk of the industry, but they make it difficult for clients. They make it difficult for marketers and they make it difficult for the more successful designers because that's where the reputation of the arrogant or pretentious designer, the great artiste uh, comes from. It's from that narrative, it's from someone who decided, well, I'm not going to be a starving artist, so I'm going to kind of sort of sell out a little and not really give these people what they're asking for, but what I want to do. Mm. When a marketer is not even taking orders or being an order taker, that's really a production artist. Um, a real designer is going to give people not what they ask for, not what the designer wants to do, but what's necessary to fulfill the objective of the brief and to get that call to action to resonate with the customer to resonate with the audience mm -hmm. it's not even about keeping your client happy your client's gonna be happy if they make money i Fair always out. redirect the conversation that is i can do what you want or i can make you money <laughs> i think it goes back to the old days of web development for me when you know we would encounter all these people who were print designers who thought they were web developers and so and i still i still encounter that on occasion and you know it's it's always a challenge because it isn't the same thing uh you know right. my first web development company we had a an artist who was actually the creative director and that was great because he could direct you know the design but you know when they start getting into too much design that can be really really challenging 
Um, well, Yvette, why don't you try to jump on again and I'll see if I can approve you. I was trying to, I was trying to approve, I like three times, I clicked the little. Yeah, I think we were both clicking. Okay, I'll let you do it. Thanks, Roberto, though. That's really, that's really great input and it, it's very valuable that, you know, people need to understand how the relationships with the designer works and, you know, what, what they're going to do. I so, think that's something you brought up coming from web because I have both a web and a print background. Cause the thing is I, I've started in web ironically um, as a teenager learning HTML code at 13 years old and then scaling that um, well, by the time I went to college. And this is like in the days of AOL 6.0 cause I know I don't look it, but I'm 31. So I've actually been in the game for a while here. Um, by the time I got to college, most of my professors were those print designers who didn't know any better um, and were trying to learn this web stuff. And I walked in knowing more than them. That made it difficult for me as a student and for them as a teacher because we'd butt heads on things because I was the subject matter expert by comparison because I put the time in to do that, whereas they'd only dabbled. Um, right. Despite the fact of being established in the other parts of their career, they could run circles around me in print but I was the person who was native to web and almost had a decade go on them going in. Um, that being said, user experience is where designers drop the ball. And I don't mean that in the way that it's now the flavor of the month where everyone wants to be a UI and UX designer. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something we're seeing. I know you, you see that, especially in the marketing world, that that's how designers and web designers now want to market themselves because it's attractive and it's higher paying now because uh, of the narrative and marketing of, oh, value customer experiences, make it easy on the customer, frictionless this, frictionless that, but they don't actually know what that means. Ironically, people from the print world do know about user experience, but they're not thinking of it in that context when we're talking about web because they know that in tangible media, there is an experience to how something opens up and spreads when you have a magazine layout. They right. know. Oops. It's so bizarre. We lost him. And there's Sally. Yes, Sally. Yay, Sally. So Janet, you... Janet, you hit the check mark for Roberto because I feel like every time yeah, I, win, I I lose him. There's something weird about this. That extra seat is not opening up. But Sally seems to be coming in. So let's see. She's got her yeah. UCAMP started up. Is something happening or not or what? Uh, we can't see you, but we can hear you. Do you have I'm a question sorry. for Shanali? Just dive in and we'll wait. Yes, for I just I, I wanted to ask Shanali from your experience when you're saying that um, the students in school are not learning what they need to know when they get in the workplace. What would be, say, your top five things that they need to know that they are not learning? Mm, great one, this is a great question. One, they're not learning about measurement the way that they should be right. learning about it. Right. They're kind of stuck with impressions. We, like I said, I just finished the Measure PR Twitter chat, and you know, I'm sorry, I totally forgot. I should have been on it. Oh, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can join next month. <laughs> yes. but but you know that's kind of. That's definitely an area that they are not getting, I would say, contemporary grounding in necessarily. Right. Um, so there's a huge gap between what they're learning, what it actually makes sense in the marketplace. And of course, as you know, we all know this because we are, we're working in measurement all the time. Um, there's so much going on just in the measurement space that they get completely confounded and confused. Right. So right. this whole thing of, you know, setting, understanding what a measurable objective is, really 
figuring out how to set it, figuring out how to map out that path from start to finish is very confounding to them. So uh, sometimes it takes like a few weeks for them to actually get it and they don't like me for the first few weeks. <laughs> I'm sure they don't. <laughs> because I'm like, buzz is not a measurable objective. Right. A measurable objective has to be quantifiable and time-bound. This, I want to get more people. More people? If you have one person and you added a second, you just gained 100%. I've but been in on these meetings with her, by the way, and she actually talks just like that. Exactly. But sometimes you have to, Janet, really, because you, you really just have to ever get so, the kind of feeling like I'm pounding this damn desk again and again. And you're not listening to me. Yes. I'm trying to explain to you. This is different. You have Read to listen. my to lips. Exactly. <laughs> so I would say that's number one for sure. Number okay. two is um, messaging. And really, I would say number two, three, four is kind of everything that goes along with messaging, coming up with smart talking points. Do they know what proof points are? You know, they, they don't. And it takes a while to understand why you're focusing so much on this whole messaging exercise. Right now I'm teaching a course on PR writing and that's what we start out with. We start out with one of the very first exercises they do. It's really starting to understand what it is they're trying to say and based on that, come up with their key messages and proof points and so on. Um, so that's, you know, a couple, I think that's more than one point in there. Um, and I think, you know, kind of going back to, I think community building and community engagement is such an important part of PR these days that that is kind of relegated to community management or grassroots or advocacy. It's given some other name and kind of shoved mm -hmm. into shoved into a little corner. It's not but that's what we do supposedly. Right, right. Oh, this is one of the things. I'm Sally, you have heard this for so long, I'm sure, just like me. Janet, you have heard it as well. That's not PR. Right, right. What is PR? Who gets to define it? Right, right. And so if, and people have tried, people have tried to define it till the cows come home. Um, <laughs> PRSA just went through this exercise a couple of years ago of trying to redefine what PR is. I don't know that we will ever really have a different or a new definition of it because everybody goes back to the classic definition, which is the building and maintaining of mutually beneficial relationships with your publics. Um, so if we just focus on that and think about what that really means, and it's mm -hmm. about those relationships, then community management has to be actually at the core. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, Deirdre Breckenridge and Brian Solis wrote that book, uh, you know, one of their first books, or maybe it was their first book together, putting the, what is it, the P people back putting in. The R and putting, putting the P back in public relations. Something like that, yeah. So it's, it's certainly not a new concept, but for some reason, um, the PR industry itself doesn't seem to get it. By and large, by and large, there are some very smart people in it. But kind of in general, um, you know, it's it's this whole definition thing. And I think we get stuck a lot in that definition and stuck a lot in what is PR and what isn't PR. And who cares? You know, just go and do the work. Focus on what it is you're trying to achieve. And it doesn't matter whether it falls into PR or marketing or social media or community management. Or just, just do the damn work. Everything's integrated. Results. 
And right. then we have a glass of wine at the end of the day, as long <laughs> as there's wine. <laughs> but everything, everything is integrated now to the point that the lines are very blurred between each individual thing. And trying to label it is just a time suck. Why are we wasting time trying to label things? Let's just do it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Roberta just made a comment that PR comes down to reputation and authority. And I really have to disagree strongly with that. It's, mm -hmm. It is that, but it's not only that. Yeah. PR has a really broad application. Because if you do look at the, the various definitions and you take into account and you break them down like concept by concept, yes, it's about image and yes, it's about reputation and it's about all of these things. But how does somebody get an image of your company? Then you're into the like the guy from Scandinavian Airlines wrote about moments of truth. Every single interaction is that moment of truth, which has an impact on how they see you and how they perceive you. So everything that you're doing, how your receptionist answers, how your truck looks when it goes down the freeway, does it cut the guy off, is it dirty, whatever. These are all things that in the end have an impact on your reputation and your image. So the impact of PR is immense. It's across the entire organization. You know, last, that is such, such a good point, Sally. Um, so I was telling you, and everyone last month, no, I guess it was, yeah, it was last month. I don't even know when it was now, but late September, I left the States and I was traveling and speaking and teaching in India and then in the UK and I came back a couple of weeks ago. And one of the workshops I did was at the Tata Management Training Center in Pune, which was really, it's, it's an amazing place, um, a wonderful, wonderful institute. And I met some very smart people there. And one of the gentlemen presenting talked about, um, the workshop was on internal communications. One of the gentlemen who was presenting talked about how for a specific vacuum cleaner company, um, this daughter or salesman who was part of the, the sales team had come to his house, you know, several years ago and his wife let him in and the guy did the demo and everything, you know, picked up all of the dust, showed how great the vacuum cleaner worked. And his wife was very impressed, asked questions, um, but decided not to buy that day. He said, I don't know if the guy, if the salesman was just tired, it was, you know, a bad day or what happened, but he looked at her, he kind of went, and he scattered the dust all over the room again. Oh, my God. And left. And this oh, was dear. Brand, yeah, this was a name brand, really, really reputed company. And but he said, when this happened, like, you know, 14, 15 something years ago, he said, my wife to this day will never buy that product. <laughs> yeah. she will, I know it's a great company. I know their products are great, but my wife will not buy that. And, you know, yeah, you can from, think that, from okay, one are, instance. Yeah. Exactly. When you think of these could be isolated instances and incidents, but think of the cumulative effect that they start to have if people are having experiences like this in different mm -hmm. spaces and in different forums and then all of that starts to build and now with social it can build into a real real uh, storm yeah mm -hmm. absolutely and again yeah. from your point about the community 
if PR is about gaining acceptance and understanding from all the various audiences, internal and external, per the definitions, what is that except community building? Exactly. And it's easier to do it today than it was before, because as you said earlier, we were restricted in how we contacted those audiences, how we communicated, how did we get that acceptance and understanding and create affinity and all those kind of things which we really want to do. We didn't have that close connection. Now you were saying earlier, look how easy it was for you to connect with Janet, mm -hmm. and whereas it wouldn't have been before. That's exactly the same for a brand. It wouldn't have been that easy before. My God, 20, 30 years ago, we sweated blood to get this done. And it was still community building. It was. Yeah. That's because the thing. Community is still community. It's never changed. It's always been community. That's always been what we did. It's just the way we talk about it has changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and at a Roundsville has a great comment lost. You'd like this vacuum cleaner company lost the sale plus 13 years of people that this gentleman's wife mentioned to absolutely. So you, mm -hmm. you again, you think of that when you talk about joining the conversation, <laughs> That's right. that is a conversation you do not want your clients. Joining. But you don't want to ignore that conversation either. So let's no. talk about that a little bit. You know, when something negative comes up about your brand and somebody brings up a topic like that and mentions it, how should we be responding to that? You can't ignore it, number right. one, right? And then depending on, you have to basically kind of do your whole uh, messaging exercise and you basically have to have your crisis communication scenarios. So anyone, you know, a lot of us have worked in crisis communications and crises happen all the time and they strike mm -hmm. when you least expect them. But if you think about people like Jim Lukashevsky or Jared Burrow or people who have really made a name for themselves focusing on crisis communication specifically, um, they will tell you that you have to really map out your scenarios ahead of time and really know what you can and can't say from the point of view of safety, right? Mm -hmm. So, and but you always have to be honest, you always have to be transparent, mm -hmm. and you always have to be ethical. Wait, so, so Olivia Pope is wrong? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, fancy that. <laughs> you get her in there. <laughs> so you have to know what you're going to say you know you have yeah. you have to be prepared and that's again where a lot of your messaging comes and that's where really understanding what your brand's about what needs to be communicated and how to best communicate it Right. That is where so much of this work comes in. I don't think people realize how much work that is mm -hmm. and how foundational that is to PR. Right. To be monitoring and listening. Yeah, mm -hmm. constantly. Yeah. You have to. You've got to have your finger on that pulse all the time. And mm -hmm. thank God for social media because, again, you always had to have your finger on the pulse. This is not something that's new. We used to yeah. call it environmental scanning 150,000 years ago when we were young. <laughs> but, you know, and, and I used to say to my students at that time, you just think that you have everybody pinned down and you look to the left to see what they're doing and you look back again and my God, those other guys have moved. Mm. 
And but now think, we have better tools. Now we have, we have better way tools. better tools. It's so much easier. And we have to use them. That is a big thing, yeah. right? Because you can have the best tool in the world if, if you're not yeah. using it. Then it doesn't make any difference. You also have to have a really good um, internal communication progress. Because, again, a process, right. I mean, because crises will happen when you least expect them. And you cannot, you cannot be left waiting for your supervisor or your CEO, whoever, to approve, you know, your message yeah. in three days or in two days. It's just I'm not, not if you want to live through it. Not if you want to live through it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. you also have to be, I think, a smart judge of should you or should you not engage in certain conversations? Right. Because mm -hmm. you can have there are, let's face it, there are a lot of trolls, right? So you could have uh, a certain group of people who are just out to make trouble. That happens to brands all the time. And to what extent should or should you not engage in that, you have to really figure that out for yourself. I don't think nine times out of 10, I do not think it is a good idea to ignore people. And you should never ever, let me say 10 times out of 10, it's not a good <laughs> idea to ignore. No, I don't agree with that. I think. Uh, no, no, let me qualify that. Let finish. So in, in, then I'll disagree. In, in, yeah, exactly. But in terms of hearing what they're saying, Right, because I think a lot of times, especially people who are upset or grousing, if they're not trolls who are just out to get you, those are like a different category. But they just want to be heard. Mm. So nine times out of ten, if you just let them know that you are hearing them, and you figure right. out, you know, take it offline. Have and everybody should know this by now, right? Have your kind of your rules of engagement set out so that people know if they post about this or that. It's not going to work here, but you'll take it off there, and then you continue the conversation there. Right. Um, so I think, how to the extent that you get involved in dramatic engagement, you have to really gauge the situation. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's not in a crisis situation. Well, I think sometimes your community, if you've developed a active, engaged community, particularly on networks that have more of a threaded atmosphere like Google Plus or Facebook, if someone attacks you on your Facebook page, take a breath and focus and settle and wait for two reasons. If they're a troll, the community will respond for you. If you've got a really great engaged community, they're going to jump on it. They're going to support you and they will answer, which looks nine millions times better than you. Then you can simply like what they said and give them some props. And in that way, you know, you're really still staying engaged in the community and still dealing with the issue. That's for trolls, obviously. If it's someone with a complaint, again, you know, I, I really push in my book. I want you to stop respond instead of reacting. Reactions always get you in trouble. Right. Stop and think, then respond. And if your community jumps in, that's just so great Yeah, yeah. for everybody. Yeah, and that's really what social PR is about. That mm -hmm. is about, you know, I kind of have a mantra that I use often in presentations, kind of, you know, educate, cultivate, motivate. And you can't get people to the point of motivation if they don't feel engaged with you, they don't feel that they have a relationship with you. And the only way to get them to that point of feeling they're in a relationship with you is by really educating them about what you're about, but also learning what they're about because it's a two-way street. Yeah, absolutely true. 
Well, I know, Shanali, that, you know, we, we said we would go for an hour and we've already gone, gee, a whole minute over. <laughs> um, I would like for you to just give us one last pitch for your brand new platform. And if you want to paste the link in the chat, Ooh. I'll also be posting this on my website, mindfulsocialmarketing.com as a recap with the video so that people can come in and watch all your brilliance. Oh, cool. How kind of you. Thank you so much. So I did pop the URL in as you suggested. Thank you, Janet. It is socialprvirtuoso.com. And I am launching my very first online live free mini training next weekend. That's November 13th, 14th, 15th. 2 to 3 Eastern is just one hour of your day. So you can take time away from playing Candy Crush Saga on the weekend <laughs> to actually come and do something that's fun and useful. And there's also a 24 hour replay for everyone who registers. And we're going to be focusing on how to unleash your inner social PR superhero. So I hope a lot of you will show up there. I'd love to see you. And thank you so much, Janet. Brilliant. Brilliant. And thanks everybody for the comments today. You know, it, it's always really great on Blab that you get to see so much. And if you have anything else that you want to add to this conversation, take it onto Twitter and hashtag it mindful social. And I'll be monitoring that. And so will Shanali. And you can see her Twitter handle up above. So go ahead and and tweet her and the dog just let himself in. That's really <laughs> That was Susie Q. She's like, you've kept the door closed for long enough. Let me come back <laughs> Way in. Way too long. <laughs> <laughs>